forward passing of legislation and judicial judgments, and it will never work. It never has. It will not in our society. When men are not changed, society is not changed. When men are black in their hearts, society is dark in its prospects. What does the book say? Then Philip began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. If you had godly consecrated men in the legislature, if you had godly consecrated men on the bench, if you had godly consecrated men in the governor's chair, if you had godly consecrated men in the cabinet and all the offices of the American society, you would have a new day and a new people. And he preached unto him, Jesus. Whatever change a person needs, whatever reform a person or a society will benefit from, it starts with and will be accomplished by a relationship with Jesus. A few weeks ago now, we hosted our first of what hopefully will be many conferences on the topic of biblical counseling. Not only do we in this church want to provide biblical counseling free to the people of our area, we want to be a resource for individuals and churches who'd like to do the same thing. The first session on Friday night was a helpful walk down the hallway of modern thinking regarding anthropology. Anthropology, a big word for the study of humanity, right? Our nature, our problem, and its cure. And our presenter that evening was Dr. Brent Oakwin, and he led us through the different theories of humanity that have risen and ebbed through the last hundred years or so, reminding us that if there were as many theories for air traffic control as there are for psychology, we'd never get on a plane. <laughs> what is man? And why do we suffer? What is wrong with us? And how can it be fixed? Supposed experts, it turns out, have different ways of answering these questions. Some of the answers are in outright contradiction to each other. In other words, at times, if one uh, psychological theorist is correct, then another cannot be. And some of the theories are innately inconsistent. If humanity is essentially good, for instance, and our problems are environmentally caused, where do the problems in the environment come from? We could wander in that sort of theoretical swamp for quite a while this morning. We are not going to. My point is Dr. Criswell's point, Dr. Oakwin's point, Philip's point, the Word of God explains our situa situation with complete accuracy. We are creatures made by God who bear the image of God in our lives. And at the same time, we are sinners. That is, we are those who transgress we are those who do not faithfully adhere to the things of God, even the things that we say we believe. We do not follow the laws of God because of the sin that is in us. From the very first sin of our ancestors, the transgression of Adam in the Garden of Eden, and because of our own will to sin, which we all have, is our desire to go our own way, that is in each and every one of us. We are imperfect. At times we are rebellious creatures whose sinfulness leads to a severed relationship with a holy God, the God who made us, 
And this separation will eventually lead us to an eternity in hell, banished from his presence. This is who we are. This is our problem. What is the cure? What is the solution? It is Jesus. So I'd like you to listen to this if, as if it were the first time you've ever heard it. Because I don't want your ears ever to be dull of hearing the good news. God sent his own son Jesus into the world. Not to condemn it. But to save it. Jesus did everything humanity could not do in terms of his perfect obedience to all of God's ways. He fulfilled all of God's requirements. He passed every test. He withstood every temptation where historically and even presently you and I continue to fail. Jesus never sinned, but because all sin is against God and incurs a debt to God, a debt that must be paid. He came to be the guiltless sacrifice, atoning for the sins of others, atoning for your sin, my sin, by offering his life up to death on the cross, his life for ours. And in so doing, he erased the sinner's debt to God for those who will recognize and receive what he has done on their behalf, who will trust him as Lord and Savior. His record by faith, is our record before God. Now, when Luke tells us that Philip shared the good news of Jesus with the Ethiopian eunuch, this, in, in some iteration or another, was what he was sharing. Okay? The blackness of men's hearts, our problems, the captivity and consequences of our sin, the broken relationship of human creatures with their creator, conquered and paid for and restored in the life and sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Lamb of God, for sinners slain. Jesus died and was buried, and three days following, he arose from the dead to live eternally. His resurrection attests that his sacrifice for us was wholly sufficient. There is no more to be done to make us right with God. Christ has done it all. Our debt is paid. Jesus is alive. And he is the pledge that all who trust in him will follow him in living forever. Now, Luke tells us the beginning with this scripture Philip is ministering to the Ethiopian eunuch, beginning with this scripture, starting with this passage about the suffering servant from Isaiah 53, Jesus Christ. He told him the good news. Luke doesn't tell us how far they went. And he doesn't tell us what other scriptures Philip might have spoken about. But I want you to look at something with me. Just a few chapters past where Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch started. If you have your Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah 56. I give you a second to get there. We'll start reading in the first verse and then read through down to verse 8. Isaiah 56. Be 
beginning in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come. Now, you, before we go too far, just remember the setting. Here, we're in a chariot. There's Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch who has come to Jerusalem to worship and is on his way home. Okay? Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. See, when the salvation of God and his righteousness is revealed, as it was in Jesus and will be fully when Christ returns, God will gather into his family people from every corner of the world he created. All who call on him in faith will be welcome in his house. Even those who were once excluded, who were not allowed in, the foreigners and the eunuchs will be greeted with open arms and will be made joyful in the house of the Lord. Those previously outside, the outcasts in Christ, are gathered in and are welcomed in. That is the gospel message of hope, of forgiveness for sins, which is for all people, the promise of eternal life in Christ that Philip was sharing from Scripture. So here is a second takeaway from this passage. Number one, we need God-sent teachers to guide us in understanding the Scripture. Number two, God-sent teachers will explain the Bible so people can understand it. Or to put it another way, maybe a little more challenging way, as we consider the example of Philip here, God-sent teachers will share Jesus from the scripture. So Christian, let me ask you, is this something you feel like you can do? Can you today open a Bible and show someone who is seeking after God what it says about them? What it says about their problem? What it says about the solution that is offered in Jesus? Not your testimony, not your thoughts about it, but can you open a Bible and show someone the way that Philip showed the Ethiopian eunuch from Scripture, this is about Jesus? Can you trace the story of Abraham offering Isaac 
to the book of Hebrews to understand what he was thinking in those moments. And then take that story to the cross of Christ to speak how Isaac was spared, but God provided the sacrifice, and then God provided the ultimate sacrifice, who was not spared, in his son Jesus. Can you turn to Exodus and tell the story of the Israelites in slavery, set free to serve God, spared the plague of death by the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of their homes, and trace that to our universal condition as slaves to sin, how we were made for more, how God wants to free us up so that we can serve him, and how through the Passover lamb of Jesus, we can be spared, we are spared the plague of death, and we inherit the promise of eternal life. If someone were to flat out ask you, and I hope they do, and I hope they do it this week, if someone were to flat out ask you, what is wrong with me? Have you ever had that question? I've had that question. Can you answer it from the scripture? If someone inquires, why do I keep doing what I'm doing when it never works out? What would you tell them? If someone says to you, they hope that they've been good enough to go to heaven when they die, what would you say? And what scripture would you share with them? Can you, Christian, walk someone through a basic gospel presentation? Creation. Fall. Christ. Response. God sent teachers explain the Bible so it can be understood. Sharing Jesus from Scripture so the people they're sharing with can come to a knowledge of the truth. How will they understand unless someone guides them? And aren't those of us who know supposed to be the guides? Let me answer that for you. Yes. Yes, we are. Now let's see the results of Philip's faithfulness. Verse 36, chapter 8 of Acts, verse 36. See here the, the, the result of Philip's faithfulness, the power of God's word. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? I love reading the Bible. I hope you do too. Sometimes what's not included in these Bible stories fascinates me. There's a simple phrase here, and as they were going along the road, and I'm thinking, which means what? The road to where? Well, I guess I'm guessing this is a, an Ethiopian eunuch. We're headed to Ethiopia. Okay, there's only a slight problem there in my mind. Philip is not from Ethiopia. Okay? Where is he going? And does he even care? Because he's just going further and further away from anything that he would call home. But his work isn't finished. His work isn't finished, is it? So I want to say to you, friends, sometimes the assignments of God will take you far afield from where you believe you ought to be, maybe from where you even want to be. But if God's work is being done, you'll get to where he wants you to be. And that's the most important thing. So enjoy the ride. <laughs> 
right? You might as well. Don't worry about where you're headed there. If the Lord's in control, enjoy the ride. Philip was going to be part of this journey until, interestingly enough, for a desert place they come to water. And clearly the Ethiopian has heard enough about Jesus that he knows what the next step is. He knows how to respond to him, which includes being baptized. We don't just say that because we're Baptists here. United Baptist Church There's this thing called the Great Commission. Go into all the world making disciples and doing what? <laughs> Baptizing. And, and obviously, Philip had gotten far enough along in his gospel presentation that he talked about that because the Ethiopian eunuch was clearly thinking about that when he saw the water. What prevents me from being baptized? Is there any reason that I shouldn't do this? Is there any reason I shouldn't be baptized? And, and of course... Some people look at this and they use this passage as the grounds for the practice of spontaneous baptism. So the smart part of me wants to say, well, yes, actually, you have to take a class. <laughs> right? That's one, that's one end of the spectrum. What prevents me from being baptized? I'll have six or eight classes, actually, and then we'll talk some more and see if we can do it. And then there's this thing called spontaneous baptism, which people say, well, anybody that just wants to can Open up the pool and let everybody in. Dunk anybody who wants to be dunked. But that's, this isn't about a case for or against spontaneous baptism. Let me just say, say this. Again, Acts is very often uh, descriptive more than prescriptive. So this isn't about a formula. Uh, you heard that a couple weeks ago, I think, when Justin preached about Simon the Magician. This isn't about a particular order of how things must go, spiritually speaking, this particular encounter is anything but spontaneous. As we know, the Lord has orchestrated this. That should be obvious by now. So this isn't really about, can I just be baptized if I feel like it? At the same time, a church should never erect unneeded barriers or place onerous expectation on a person's path to salvation and baptism. I'm not sure why we would ever want to do that. There is a danger in baptizing anyone who doesn't truly grasp the gospel. Some people who don't truly grasp the gospel, if they're baptized, then will think that, that the, the act of baptism itself has done the saving. And they're okay. In that case, you've effectively inoculated somebody against the gospel or the truth. We know that salvation comes from faith and from believing, but there's also a danger in asking someone to make the commitment that comes with baptism to identify with and live for Jesus as part of his church if they're not of an age or an understanding where they can realistically make this lifelong pledge. So yeah, we could go on and on about this or that. Should we just baptize when somebody wants to or should we make, them make sure they know all oh, this guy? We're not worried about that. This Ethiopian eunuch does not fall into those sorts of categories. He has most certainly heard about Jesus. He has received the good news. He has found what he was looking for. And he's ready for the next step. And so Philip accompanies him into the water and baptizes him. And then something truly awesome happens. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more. It just keeps getting better, doesn't it? I, can't, I cannot explain that. I cannot explain that, and I don't think I need to. Um, some would like to rationalize that away, for some reason make it less miraculous than it is. I don't think we need to do that either, do we? Why do we always feel like we need to limit God? Why does he have to fit in our categories and our boxes? 
Let's just picture this, if you can, and be blown away. All right? When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. <laughs> and the eunuch saw him no more. It doesn't seem to have dampened the spirits of the eunuch. Okay? He's not weirded out by this. Luke is so doggone matter-of-fact sometimes with this stuff. And it's like, what? Really? It's because he's telling a story. And once again, this supernatural occurrence, all these supernatural occurrences, is not the story. What is the story? The story is that a man, one man, just got saved and baptized. That's the story. That's what your mind should be focused on. That's what you're rejoicing in. Friend, what does the Bible say happens when someone gets saved? Do you know that? The angels rejoice, right? All right. So when the lost become found, Jesus tells us, Luke 15, 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Over one. Heaven, heaven rejoices. This story in Acts 8 started with a word from an angel. Remember that? And it ends with a party of angels. And it's not only the angels who rejoice in salvation. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, in fact, tells us that in view of the honor that would be his at the right hand of God and the pleasure that would be his knowing that he gave his life to bring many sons and daughters to glory for the joy set before him, him being Jesus, Jesus endured the cross and its shame. For the joy of seeing our salvation. When people see and understand Jesus from the scriptures, the result is joy. Even as believers, maybe we were saved long, long ago. But when we see and we understand Jesus from the scriptures, our hearts burn within us. They well up with gratitude. They well up with amazement. And they are filled with joy. And when unbelievers come to faith, when they hear, when they see, when they understand and receive Jesus as Savior, there is joy all around. Joy in heaven and joy on earth. Now our story ends with the two main characters heading in two different directions. Philip is carried some 40 miles away to Azotus, where he will preach and teach his way to Caesarea. And we're not going to hear from Philip again until Acts 21. And the Ethiopian eunuch, dripping wet and heading home with a message of the hope that is in Jesus. Verse 39, went on his way rejoicing. Well, brothers and sisters, you're about to go on your way too. <laughs> and I hope you will leave as this man did, rejoicing. As you let the warm truth of God's love for sinners and his gracious pursuit of the lost, of his care for the one that once was 
or may yet be you and his marvelous provision of salvation through Christ seep deeper into your souls, fill your heart with thankfulness and worship. O oh Lord, on the road to Gaza in a desert place, there was a man you were seeking. And he was seeking you. And another who you sent to teach and show the way of salvation in Jesus. And so we see in your word the choreography of your kingdom. The way you build it, one soul at a time. Grant today, Father, that those in this hearing and in spiritually desolate places would, like the Ethiopian, look to you, to your people and your word in humility, seeking true answers, and that we, who have been mercifully given these answers, would, like Philip, surrender our lives to your service, obey without argument, and eagerly go to those in need with the news they long to hear. It is in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. <laughs>